Welcome, listeners, to the ninth installment of the Ubered podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kale. I was a full-time Uber and Lyft driver in Minneapolis-St. Paul for four years, and during that time period, I gave more than 8,000 rides. I also went on to write two books on the subject, Uber and My Life as a Rideshare Driver and the sequel, Uber 2, both available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. Listeners, this episode may leave some of you scratching your heads as to why I would even include it. This is the Stoner Files. These are all the times, or all the instances, that I either used marijuana or marijuana was involved in the rides. And before we go any further, Mike, you're going to get your second shout out. My friend Mike, who listens to this podcast and is just a, he's a big podcast person. He was kind of a driving force why I launched a podcast. He hates it when I smoke dope because I am, I guess I'm not fun to talk to. I guess I can kind of see that. I get very quiet. I'm like a loner stoner where my mind's moving at a million miles an hour, but nothing's coming out of my mouth. And my want for conversation is, uh, well, it can be a bit lacking. See, when I get stoned, I don't like talking about normal things. I like talking about, uh, say, how the Nazis spent a fortune building weird weapons during World War II. Shit like that. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't make for good like date conversation, let alone just... It just makes for like weird conversation. So when I smoke, I generally smoke alone, and I was going to do this episode toasted because it's about me getting toasted and driving. Seeing as how I'm doing something very social right now, like hosting a podcast where lots of people are listening to it, I'm going to skip the weed for this one. I'm going to do this one uh, straight. Well, not straight. You know what I mean. Just a healthy amount of cocksucking as I do this episode. Before we go any further, I do want to say I am not advocating driving under the influence of anything. It is a crime. You can get prosecuted. The reality is I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I was high most of the time that I was doing my Uber driving. And so most of these stories, I mean, basically, Ubered is a stoner story. Not only that, I myself... Uh, was very much in the shadows about my marijuana use until probably the last like maybe three or four years and finally I just got so fed up with this culture this taboo and all the evil that the war on drugs is doing that I've decided to be a vocal advocate of it and just admit what I did and put it out there as a way to make it commonplace in society I mean I'm not saying that my use is going to change the attitude of society I'm just saying people like me who are honest about their their smoking habits that's what's going to break down these laws that are filling up our prisons and fucking our country. And I do just want to quickly add that, yes, although it was wrong of me to be driving stoned in any degree, I never got so stoned that I was like really fucked up and like a danger to the road. Like I, I had two car accidents while I was a driver. Both times I was sober. One time it was my fault. One time it was not my fault. But I never drove under the influence of alcohol. And when I did drive under the influence of marijuana, it was never like an excessive amount. Of course, I do smoke like a chimney. So what may not be an excessive amount to me may be an excessive amount to you. But I just I do need to do my due diligence and say that although I am advocating the use of marijuana, what I did, you probably shouldn't take a page from me. I wouldn't recommend driving stoned. Before we dive into the stories, I guess I want to talk a little bit about my own marijuana use in my background. So when I was in high school... I was the kid that D.A.R.E. worked on. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do any drugs. I was a believer in all that crap that they shoved down your throat. But then one of my best friends, Jimmy, started smoking weed. I think we were in like 10th grade. And it just made me so like uncomfortable. It was like, oh my God, he's doing the thing. 
it it uh, for about not even a year, maybe for about ten months, it dissolved their friendship. We got into a huge fight over it, and then we became friends again, and I became a little bit more tolerant. But I decided it won't be me. And then I started to notice a little bit later on, toward the end of high school, there was this wafting skunk smell in my house all the time. And as I mentioned in episode one, uh, my dad worked for a criminal organization that dealt in marijuana. He doesn't anymore. It's been about 20 years since he walked away from this organization, even more than that, actually, come to think of it. But he always had a lot of weed in the house when I was growing up, and he smoked a lot. It's kind of one of his defining attributes as being a stoner. So suddenly, I realized this, and I realized that I've had this anti-drug rhetoric going in my head, and yet my own father's smoking 24-7 like a chimney. But I still wouldn't try it for myself, and I wouldn't until I went to college. My coming back... Um, from my freshman year going to my sophomore year, we were up at my friend's cabin, and this one cabin was the place where it was like where the things that would go on as a teen would happen, like the, you know, when your first time's drinking, or uh, I guess I never had sex up there, but some people did. Anyway, this cabin was where I tried weed for the first time, and I was so hesitant to try it. And I remember I was quoting the movie There Will Be Blood. You know, they say like you don't get high your first time. I fucking got high. I was, for some reason, I was quoting the movie There Will Be Blood, like, all night. And it was like, the only thing I was saying was, like, I've abandoned my boy! So after that, after I got home, I bought some weed, like, immediately, and I started smoking. But it wasn't a lot, because I used to get, God, I remember how high I used to get. It was, like, going to Mars. So I was doing it. I wouldn't do it too, too often. But then the following year, um, in screenwriting, or in my pursuit of screenwriting, I discovered Adderall. And the first time I ever used Adderall, I wrote like 40 or 50 pages or something in one sitting. It was like something something inhuman. And so I thought to myself, Adderall is going to be this miracle drug that will make my writing come to life. So I undertook this regimen of like just abusing the fuck out of Adderall. I'd take like 50, 60, 70 milligrams and I'd write for like 12 hours and then I would crash. And I would need something for the crash because an Adderall crash I think is probably the worst thing a human being can feel. You go from being so high and feeling so fucking awesome to it's like a roller coaster that you go over the highest point and then it's all down and you want to keep grasping to get that high back but you can't quite get it and you get the splitting headache and you can't go to sleep and you're all rattled. So I started smoking a lot of weed when I was coming down from this and I was abusing Adderall like five, six days a week. And after about a year and a half of abusing it, I basically just crashed and burned. I flushed all my Adderall down the toilet after a 23rd birthday escapade that I'm not even going to recount it. It, was, it wasn't pretty. So the Adderall was out, but the weed, because I had been smoking it every day, I just didn't stop. And so I turned into a functioning stoner. So what happens is this ends up creating a pattern. I'm working these jobs that are so easy a monkey could do them. Retail, restaurants, whatever. And I'm smoking while I'm doing these jobs, and so I get really good at the game of getting toasted and nobody being able to tell. And I'm so good at it now, it's like the world's lamest game. I mean, I guess my, my friend Mike can tell when I'm toasted, but the key is you just look somebody in the eyes and you keep conversation moving and you don't allow any room for, like, awkward spaces. And then you can always hide that you're high. Okay, I'm kind of rambling now and getting distracted here. The point I'm getting at is the smoking weed with these easy jobs, it became pattern forming, and so I'd end up doing it at every easy job I got. I'd tell myself, not at this job, and then that would last about three weeks. 
And of course, with a job as serious as driving someone. So, I mean, basically, like, I've never really felt bad about it because these jobs that I've been doing, they don't exactly require you to be a surgeon. You don't, like, you're not in charge of anything really major. And if you drop the ball, it's like, I mean, I mean, it's a big deal because you're failing at your job. But, like, it's, it's not a big deal. And I've, like, never made a stone mistake. Actually, that's not true. A few times as a waiter, um, I've rung the wrong credit card on the wrong table, but I can usually fix it before anyone knows what's wrong. And I have long been a proponent of if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, indeed, it does not make a sound. Anyway, so we're going to segue now into the rides. And so when I first started being a driver, I told myself, I'm not going to get high because especially this time around, it's not surgery, but I have a person's life in my hands in the back seat, and being impaired while driving is not a smart idea, especially because if anybody reports he seemed high, even just the he seemed part would probably be enough for Uber Lyft to fire me. But alas, on the very first ride, I was stoned, and it was like I wasn't intending for it to be that way. I was waiting for Lyft to get back to me and tell me I had been approved as a driver. And so I'm smoking pot. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm waiting. And I get the email, and I go, and I hit the road. Kind of, I guess, without even really thinking about it. It was like I had caught myself in the act as I was just pulling up to this person's house. But it wouldn't be an issue. They, I mean, these two in my backseat, this first ride were drunk, so they wouldn't have known anyway. But it was fine. Then I told myself, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'll be, I just won't be stoned while I'm doing this. Well, a couple weeks later... Lyft had this thing where if you were on a certain amount of hours, you qualified for a bonus. And so because it was so new to my market, its territory was limited. And I was living in a suburb that was just outside of the territory. So I could turn on the Lyft app and not get a ride. So I thought, okay, I'm going to cheat the system. And so I had the, the, I had the app going and I'm smoking. And then suddenly a call comes through and I'm looking at it. I think, oh, shit. And if I don't, I think to myself, if I don't accept this call, either all the time that I have put in to having this app on will be nullified or it's going to impact my driver account because I'm refusing a ride and that's going to hurt me in the long run. So I felt like I had to do it. This was trip 36. It's called Take You to a Field and Kill You. I pulled up in Uptown. I arrived at this woman's apartment. It's like 2.30 in the morning and she's going to the airport. And she gets in the car and we're talking and... She's going out of the country to, like, Guam or something like that. And she remarks, oh, I'm always so nervous taking a ride this late at night. You never know who's going to come pick you up. And I said something along the lines of, don't worry, I'm not going to take you to a field and kill you. Something like making, like, a really dark joke. Well, as I'm driving to the airport, I am trying to mask the fact that I'm stoned. And as I mentioned, I'm not the best conversationalist when I'm high. So, I'm, you know, it's like generic things to keep the conversation going. I mentioned to her that I have like a fear of flying and like everyone else who I would tell that to, they would tell me I'm an idiot and they're right. But whatever, we're driving and I'm on autopilot because at the time the GPS, um, Lyft let you use Waze. Uber never did. Well, Uber eventually did. But at the time, Uber made you use their GPS. Neither... Uber's GPS nor Waze was very good at getting you to the airport. And I'm basically on mental autopilot driving this woman. So the GPS would take you near the airport, but not to it. It would take you to like, I'm pulling off the highway and suddenly I'm going down this like weird sketchy road past these fences. And before I know it, it's almost three o'clock in the morning and I have taken this woman to a field. She kind of nervously asks as we turned off onto this like gravel road, she's like, where are you taking me? And so I stopped the car and I turned the lights on so like she could see that like 
I'm not making I'm not doing the joke that I said I'm not taking her to this field to kill her and I explain like I'm so sorry I I was just following the GPS and I'm stoned it's an imperfect technology I'll take you to the right place immediately so I with the lights on in the cabin so she could see everything I'm doing I turned around and I got her out of there and I eventually got her to the airport she wasn't very happy when I dropped her off but this would start a long rideshare career of driving stoned eventually it would take a while to get there after this trip I just decided I made a mistake. It definitely affected my driver's score. This woman gave me a bad rating, and since I hadn't given very many uh, rides at the time, that one rating kind of stuck out, or it, like, dragged me down. So I was not smoking at all for many weeks after that, and if anybody asked about it, I didn't smoke, I don't drink, I'm a straight-laced guy. But around February, March, somewhere in there, somewhere around the spring of 2015, all that started to change. One thing in particular that really started to bother me as a driver was how remarkably sore my back would get. I mean, if you're sitting in a car for more than three hours, you're going to get stiff. If you're doing it for more than six, which constituted as kind of a short shift for me, you're going to get really stiff. And if it's more than eight, I mean, I would get out of my car uh, and just lay on the road sometimes and have to do stretches because I was getting so stiff. I have this thing called a foam roller. It's just like a styrofoam tube. You put it on the ground, you roll like up and down on it and adjust your spine. I would have to carry that thing in my damn trunk because my back was getting so incredibly sore. And it was making me super irritable with people because I'm just in like, I'm in constant pain, basically. So one thing that I noticed when I would get home, they say that marijuana is great for back pain. Well, it fucking is. I would, I mean, I would smoke my face off anyway. But I would especially do it to alleviate my sore back. And it sure did the trick every time. So finally, one day I had to work because, like, you know, you got to basically you, gotta, you have to work seven days a week. You can't take any time off, especially if you have a, like car payments and uh, other financial responsibilities if you're doing this full time. So days off were out of the question, even if I was in pain or even if I was sick or whatever. So one day I brought some weed with me because I knew I was going to be out for about eight hours and four hours in my back was hurting. And I started smoking and made the other four hours go right by. Um, just the fact that I had alleviated my pain so quickly, it made a very positive impact on my mood, I remember this day. So much so that even my lack for conversation, like I mentioned, like getting stoned, like I just like can't talk, it wasn't a thing that day. I was just so happy to not be in pain that it was as if, uh, I mean, it was like one of the best days of my rideshare career. This first day that I was just smoking, like kind of starting in hour four, throughout the rest of the shift and so this kind of habituated me to thinking okay well i guess i can do this i just have to be really careful so what i started doing i would keep mm, three four grams in a pill jar with either a one hitter or like a little glass pipe or something like that and i would tuck that like uh beneath like the false bottom of the trunk where there's like the spare tires i would like tuck it like deep in there another thing that i noticed the more uncomfortable I would get physically, the easier my misophonia was set off. So to recap, and I mentioned this a few, a few times now for those of you who have been tuning into the Ubered podcast, I have misophonia. I'm on the autism spectrum. So the sound of chewing, slurping, breathing, like bodily noises that other people exhibit, it, it triggers this fight or flight response in my brain that I can't even begin to put words on it. it it's primal, raw anger and it's like you just stop being human and you start being an animal it might be hard for some of you to imagine but 
if you're trapped in a confined space with the person who's exhibiting these trigger sounds, like, you just want to kill them, and you can't help it. But another thing that I noticed is, and I noticed this years prior, when I started smoking a lot of weed, these symptoms of misophonia, they got more and more mild. I mean, it's not like they're not there. They're almost not there anymore, and I attribute smoking weed to this. I've never heard of any kind of a study regarding misophonia and marijuana. I'd love to see one because I myself can tell you it really helped me. But like I said, as I was smoking weed in my car and driving, I, I wouldn't exhibit these misophonia symptoms like at all. The only anomaly, the only thing that would really kind of kick me back into it is if somebody had terrible BO, that would kind of be like a first trigger. And even if I was stoned, then I would kind of exhibit some symptoms. But by and large, my symptoms are almost extinct. And I thank marijuana for that. So needless to say, using marijuana in my car while I was driving, although it's illegal, blah, 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 it made me a much better and more pleasant driver. I don't know about a better driver, but certainly more pleasant. So the smoking pot, it also led to a couple of things that radically changed the outcome of my story. One of those was I said... Early on, if you invite me in, I will. I have to go in with you unless I think you're, you might be a serial killer. And come to think of it, I don't think I ever filtered myself. I don't think I ever stopped myself from going into somebody's house unless they were trying to solicit me explicitly for sex. So I never said yes then, but if weed was being offered, forget it. Then I always said yes. Except for this one guy, Trip 1519, was just a little too colorful even for me. I picked this guy up. His name is Jacob, J-A-K-K, like O-O-B or something weird. It was a weird spelling of an otherwise normal name, and that was always an indicator that somebody's going to be a problem. It was late at night, and he was dropping the pin downtown Minneapolis in like the middle of the street, indicating that he was drunk. So two red flags right there. Well, I picked this guy up, and he's going, there's a concert that's about to get out. Like I have like maybe like 15 or 20 minutes before the prices take off in downtown. And this jackass is hailing me before it goes off, and he wants me to take him like 30 miles north. So I'm being removed from the money zone right before surge prices start. Just my luck. So I'm driving with this guy. He's got a backpack. He's really drunk. He's sitting in the front seat. He's trying to make conversation with me, but he's got the conversation skills of a bison. And we're on Highway 94. And somewhere on the highway, he's got a backpack in between his legs. He goes, hey, bro, do you party? I'm like, um, I mean, I guess. I mean, not not really anymore, but I used to. And he goes, oh, bro, check it out. I got these ecstasy tablets. And so he reaches into his backpack, and he pulls out a jar, and it's, like, full of, like, these Ziploc bags with, like, all these ecstasy tablets in it. And I've got a rule. I don't fuck with anything made in the lab. I've never done ecstasy. I've never done acid. I guess Adderall's a different story, and we'll get through that in a minute. But not those two drugs. I stay the fuck away from those two. I guess I didn't really do cocaine either. That's not really made in the lab. That's like made in like a processing facility. I'd hardly call that a lab. Anyway, I refuse his ecstasy. He tries to offer me cocaine. He's got a bunch of little like one gram baggies divvied up in another jar. I refuse that. He's got Adderall. I considered that, but I said no to that. And he had like, I don't know, fucking hundreds of Adderall. And then he's got like three ounces of weed on him in like another jar. So my, my, the story is called Walgreens because this guy is like a fucking walking pharmacy. Well, he's still trying to do the sales pitch to me, trying to get me to buy some drugs. And I look in my back mirror, my rear view mirror, and I see this guy's got the cabin light on as he's like trying to do the sales pitch. There's a goddamn state trooper following me. So although it's not my drugs, I mean, it'll certainly be a mess if he pulls me over. And I hit the cabin light and I go, no, thank you on all counts to the drugs. We will have quiet for the rest of the ride. 
Finally, I dropped this guy off in like this. Basically, it was like a trailer park. And he asked for my phone number. I gave him my dead grandmother's old phone number. And that was the last time I saw Jacob. But Jacob, or Jacob, whatever the fuck he wanted to be called, would not be the only dealer I would drive. In fact, there were... I could never prove it, but I suspect Uber and Lyft make wonderful transportation services for drug dealers. So I mentioned in the last episode, Scary... I suspected I was driving prostitutes, and I kind of told you about the what fit the bill of what I thought might be a prostitute. But let me tell you about what I thought constituted as a drug dealer. It is a young man between the ages of 20 and 35, black leather jacket, sunglasses no matter what time of day, a magazine, and a backpack. The backpack goes in the trunk, always, and the magazine is almost always a car magazine. And we'll make four or five different stops, and I noticed the backpack... It gets, he gets out, takes the backpack with him into every house that he goes. And the backpack is getting like, you can see it's getting lighter. And by the last trip, the backpack is back in the car. I get a big tip in cash. And this guy just gets out someplace random and disappears. I, you know, I can't prove it. Seemed like a drug dealer to me. So I would drive those people, I don't know, maybe once a month. Certainly couldn't ask. And it was, my rule was, unless I suspected you were doing something really illegal, like robbing a bank or something like that, you know, I'm like the transporter. It's my job to drive. It's not my job to ask questions. And obviously, well, not obviously, because this did happen to one driver here in Minneapolis. One Lyft driver picked up two uh, robbers. They had just robbed a bank, and they used Lyft as the getaway. And so, Basically, this Lyft driver just got thrown into this robbery. He suddenly got surrounded by police with guns drawn, and they took him into custody, too. I mean, they eventually released him. But, yeah, I never I never had a story quite that exciting. Though, as you continue to get into this podcast, arguably some of my stories are as exciting. But segueing back to my personal rides. So, like I mentioned, it was three, four grams, pill jar, a little glass pipe, or like a little ceramic one-hitter in the trunk, being hit very mildly. Well, as I'm driving more and more, I'm getting more accustomed to doing this, and I'm getting better at driving. And I'm also getting hella burnt out. Uh, The people, the questions, the repetitiveness over and over and over again, it's enough to make you go crazy. It took maybe five, six months for me to start losing my mind with the repetitiveness. And I noticed gradually I was smoking more and more. Well, fast forward to the summer, I've graduated from the pipe game, from the ceramic one-hitter game. Now I'm smoking spliffs. I picked up spliffs from a friend somewhere along the line. A spliff, if you don't know, it's weed mixed with tobacco, and you hand roll it in a joint. So I would roll four, five, six spliffs, put them in a pill jar, and if I ever got marooned or if I'm, like, sitting in an alley somewhere, I would find places to smoke these spliffs, and I would smoke them throughout the course of the day. So... I mean, a spliff has like a gram of weed in it. So now I'm smoking quite a bit more. And I hit a point where it's becoming so excessive, the weed and the rides, or the weed and the Uber life, they're kind of like hand in hand. It's like one is going perfectly with the other. And I just start to, it becomes part of my everyday routine to be stoned. I mean, to be doing this, it's like my ethos as an Uber driver is I'm the stone guy. And I'd never smoke in my car because that smell does not go away. So I would always either stand outside and smoke or if it was below zero i had these things i called uh tank breaks where i have my sunroof open and i'm hanging i have the heat going full blast and the lower two-thirds of my body are inside of my car i've got my knees like on my center console 
but like the top third of my body is like hanging out of the open sunroof and I'm just like puffing away on a spliff. And maybe perhaps all this dope smoking is what caused me to be so philosophical about my Uber experience. If you read the first Uber, the second one isn't like this at all. The second one is just more about the stories and my story and like what happens. But the first one, chaos theory is a big uh, factor or like a big part of the story. Chaos theory is this, me snapping my finger right now, somehow is going to cause a hurricane through a chain of events on the other side of the planet. Or I guess as the doctrines go, the beating wings of a butterfly can turn into the unstoppable force of a hurricane. As one highly critical and not positive reviewer pointed out, perhaps the trip was colored by the effects of the high. And maybe indeed that is true. Maybe because I was high, I thought that there was something special happening that really, like nothing special was happening at all. But I don't think so. I really don't. And just getting in, getting philosophical like this as a byproduct of smoking too much dope, I'm glad I did. It it made the story what it is. And I'm so happy that I was able to produce this story from nothing more than a bunch of strangers getting in and out of my car and saying some rude things to me. And two companies bending me over and fist-fucking me with sandpaper gloves on. Despite that, as I've said, I had a good time doing Uber and Lyft, and I don't know if I would have if it had not been for the week. I certainly would not have arrived at all of the philosophical conclusions without it. So one thing I bet you're all dying to know, did I ever smoke with passengers? Uh, the answer is yes, a few times. Now this was a rare thing. I didn't do it. I only did it a handful of times. And the biggest reason was if I smoked in my car, then I was done for the day. I had to go get the car cleaned again because those spliffs, like I said, the smell of weed doesn't go away. The smell of burning a big fat spliff, even if you have all the windows down, that shit does not go away. So if I got done at the end of the day, oftentimes, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning I'm driving home, I'll light one up in the car because it's fun. But if it's during the day, it was always outside, even if it was cold out. So when a passenger would ask, I'd have to think to myself, do I want to have this fun experience with a stranger or do I want to keep driving for the day? And usually, actually, come to think of it, every single time it was ever asked of me, I said yes, and then I just quit driving for the day. It only happened a few times, and I'll tell these ones out of order. Somewhere in mid-2017, I picked up a, was a group of people, and I had worked with one of these individuals when I, at my college job at Macy's, and I had actually bought weed from this guy uh, when I was in college, and he had like, moved to California, and he, I guess he was back. And so just seeing him, because we, we used to smoke together, he whipped out a blunt and like the whole car burned a blunt as I drove them uh, from Minneapolis to St. Paul. And then like after that, you know, I was like, I was done for the day. In another instance, this was when I was working my temp job in the middle of 2017. I picked up this young kid, dreadlocks, like he looked like he smoked. And when he got in, he smelled like he smoked. And so we're talking and he asked a little bit about me. I kind of told him about, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I don't really do it so much anymore. Um, and then I mentioned, because he was going to a bookstore, I mentioned that I had a book trying to sell him, my book, and he wanted to hear a story. And I said, I'll tell you what, man, there's no way you're not holding. You smoke me out, I'll tell you a story. So he laughs his ass off and he reaches into his backpack and sure enough, he's got a ton of weed on him. So we smoked and as I'm taking a hit, I go, you want to hear a funny story or a sad one? So he says, funny. So I told him a, like a random ass funny story and then he got out, and then I went home because the car smelled like weed. Maybe three months before this happened, um, in Uber 2, I start doing this thing where instead of just having a trip and one story, like one story per trip, I have stories, I title them like the title of the night, like hell of a night. In this instance, it's called Foggy Saturday. 
And it's like the whole night was so wild, I couldn't possibly just pick one trip. So I write about the entire night. So in Foggy Saturday, I pick up um, in my exciting evening endeavors. There's like this crazy blanket of fog over the metro. It's like a noir movie. I pick up these younger girls. They're like the early 20s. They're going to like a bar. They're going from like, a, like one bar to another. And as we're driving, the one girl's like touching my hair. She's like into my hair for some reason. I'm like, I'm just allowing this. And then she goes, do you have any weed? You seem like you might. And I look at her, I'm like, why, do I smell like it? She's like, no, you just, you seem like you might smoke weed. I'm like, well, you're in luck, I do. So I pulled over with these girls, and there's like, we pulled over basically in front of a house party, like some random ass house party going on. And we just got out, and all of us just smoked, uh, smoked one of my spliffs and chatted for five minutes or so. And then I dropped them off at the bar. They wanted me to go in with them. I said, no, I'm going to keep working, and that was that. I've got a few other stories that are kind of just like that where it's like nothing really exciting happens i just i smoked some weed with the passenger and it was fun but my favorite all-time favorite instance of smoking weed with a passenger was trip 5296 it's called hit this so there is this time period where right before i released the first uber book i was certain i was certain uber and lyft were gonna fire me because they were getting rid of drivers who were just tweeting bad about them so i got this whole scathing book where I'm not only picking apart both companies and all that's wrong with them, but I myself am doing terrible things. So I thought to myself, like, for sure they're going to be on me. Well, no, they weren't. But I was taking steps just in case they were going to, and one of those steps was I was going to be retiring from Uber driving. I was going to get a full-time job. Well, it was a temp job, but I got a full-time temp job lined up. So this was during, like, my last week of being a full-time driver in the summer of 2016. It's a Sunday night, and I picked up these two middle-aged guys in suits and ties, and they're both shit-faced, and they're leaving a wedding in downtown Minneapolis. And so they want to stop at a gas station to get cigarettes, and then they're going back to their hotel. And in driving them, they're so drunk, and we're talking about weed, and I mentioned I had some, and they wanted to smoke some. So I whipped out. I At this point, I had my one-hitter with like a couple grams in my center console and then I had the weeds roll I had the weeds. I had the joints rolled up in the trunk like in a pill jar like hidden. So I whipped out from my center console my ceramic one hitter in the pill jar and I hit it and I pass it back to these dudes and they're hitting it and we stop at Super America, this like one like really sketchy Super America in northeast Minneapolis. And they both go stumbling in and I'm sitting there in the parking lot waiting for him to come out and I'm smoking the one hitter. And I look up as I'm about to light it again, and the police, like a police SUV, rolls past me, and the cops looking at me. So I just like open mouth. The one hitter just slides out of my mouth onto my lap, and I just freeze. And the cop parks maybe four or five spaces down from me, but there's no cars in between us. And he's just sitting there with the battle lights on, like the red battle lights in the cab. He's just sitting there. So I'm waiting for these two to come out. Well, the first one comes out, and he goes, "My friend's coming here." And then the second one comes stumbling out. But just shy of getting in the car, he starts puking. And I'm like, oh, shit. This cop's going to come over, and he's going to smell the weed. I'm, I'm fucked. I'm fucked with a big old capital F. But luckily, this guy puking, he's on my driver's side, and the, car, the cop is parked on the passenger's side. And he's at such an angle that the cop can't see him. He's hunched over, and he's puking right by my tire. But the cop can't see him. The cop can only hear the sound of someone puking. And all he can see is me looking over at him with an ear-to-ear grin just smiling. And the passenger, his friend in my back seat, already loaded up, ready to go, clearly not puking. 
So the cop is just like mysteriously looking around. Well, this this guy finishes puking and just crawls back into the back seat and like like huddles up. Uh, he's got his head down, so the cop doesn't even see him load up into the car. And we just like kind of quickly roll away after that. But these two dudes in my back seat, they're just a hoot. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I wish I wish every single ride that I did could be this much fun. I'm just having a great time. I'm smoking dope with these guys. We're laughing. We're chatting. They're nice. They tipped me when they got out. Uh, it turned out the the one, not the one puking, the other one who's buying the ride, his name is Nick. I forget his last name. He's like kind of a famous artist. So he did, I had him do a little sketch in my little in my little black book, my little diary. And I actually published that sketch in Uber too. So if you want to see it, check it out. But despite being fun, that story was a little bit of a close call. It would not be my only close call. I have never been caught. Actually, that's not true. In 2011... I was visiting a friend at Gustavus College, and this friend had a girlfriend, and I went down with another friend. So my friend, my one friend who went to school there, deposited us in his apartment and went and stayed the night with his girlfriend. Well, big mistake on my one friend's part, because my other friend and I, with nothing to do, deposited in our friend's apartment. We got to rummaging. I mean, not really. We knew what we were looking for. He had a big, like, six-foot bong, so we dug that out, and we hit that. And then our friend also had this monster surround sound system. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. We've been drinking all night. So stoned and drunk, we decided to test out the surround sound system. And we got the college cops called on us. We opened the door, and the college cops wanted to know who was, or like whose apartment it was. And we're like, well, we don't live here. So our friend had to leave his girlfriend's, come back. The cops searched his place. They took all of his pipes. Most of them belonged to his roommate, so they weren't even his. And then they kicked us out of the building for the night. Um, we got pot tickets. My friend who lived there got a pot ticket. I tried to say this whole thing is my fault. Don't blame uh, my friend. I got a pot ticket. My other friend who was there with us just kept his mouth shut and didn't get anything because he, he was just a guest. So by trying to absorb all of it under me so my friend didn't get in trouble, all I did was rope myself into it. But my friend, uh, instead of fighting it like I did, he just paid the fine. And so he's got like a pot thing on his record, even though he like barely smokes. And me, I, I took it to the local district attorney. And all I had to do was sit and meet with him and do a year of um, like was it probation. Like I'm not going to get in trouble for a year. He gave me a lecture and I paid like a $200 fine. And I had to go a year without getting it on my record. And obviously, I, like, I was fine. So not on my record. Uh, but it is on my friend's record, and it's still a little bit of a sore subject between my friend and I. And I am also banned for life from Gustavus Adolphus College. So, fuck you, St. Peter, Minnesota. Fun story. Random piece of information. St. Peter almost became the capital of Minnesota. But then everyone realized that St. Peter, Minnesota is the Jared Fogel of the state. You know what's funny to think about is Jared Fogel and the number 12 once had a completely different connotation. The times I almost got caught, though. So, number one, the airport was always stressful. I mean, the airport stressed me out just to begin with because there's I don't like cops, and there's like a gajillion cops. They always made it super confusing and ambiguous for rideshare drivers. It was like only the final year that I was a driver did they have the whole airport mess sorted out where there was a specific lane, passengers knew where to go, there wasn't an inadequate amount of parking spaces, you didn't have to pay any money up front. For a while, there was this, like, shadow game because Uber and Lyft technically could not pick up from the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport. So I had to take down all of my stuff that could show I was a rideshare driver. 
I would get out of the car and I would hug people sometimes and like whisper in the ear, just play along. And I would act like I knew people or like if police ever asked me who I was waiting for, I'd say, oh, I'm waiting for my uncle. And like a big, you know, like an Indian guy comes out and it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm adopted. <laughs> Simple as that, officer. I'm going to go say hello to my Indian uncle and off we go. Compounding on the stress is the fact that I usually had weed in my trunk. So, I mean, it, it never became an issue, but I always held my breath when I was picking people up at the airport because it's like, fuck, if they got a dog today, I have a little problem. Never happened, though. But I had three close calls a few other times. In one instance, and I don't even think I wrote about this in the trip, this is an Ubered. I take this woman home to the suburb of Brooklyn Park, which is like, I guess it's getting gentrified now, but for a while it was a little sketchy. So when I take her home to this neighborhood, it's blocked off by police. There's two cops that are blocking her street. Their their cars are like crisscrossed. One officer has a fucking shotgun and another one has his hand on the service weapon. He like puts up his flashlight and he screams, halt at me. And he comes out to my car with the like light shining in my face. They're looking for a murder suspect on the run. But I'd, I'm stoned. And the cop, you know, I've got this woman in my back seat. I just got to drive her to her house on the street that's blocked off where they're searching for the suspect. So they tell me, you know, I, I can't take this woman home. I got to take her somewhere else. But the cop is looking really intently in my eyes. And as he's talking to me, I can tell what he's thinking. I can tell he's thinking that... He knows I'm stoned, and he wants to, like, get me out of the car so he can do a sobriety check, but he's got uh, he's got bigger fish to fry. So just, you know, and we don't say a word about this, but I can just fucking see it in his eyes that he knows. But I lucked out there in another instance. This is trip 6,528. It's called Close Call. I'm in the sketchy part of, like, rural St. Paul. It's a Saturday night. It's, like, 8 o'clock, and I, I'm... Basically, I'm marooned. Like, I'm going to probably get a ride back to the cities because it's early enough. But I know I'm not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So I get out of my car to smoke a spliff. It's like a full new, a full moon night in winter. And I smoke about half of it. And I'm leaning up against the car. And I'm thinking to myself. And it's like this neighborhood's a dump. Me smoking a joint in public is probably the most benign criminal thing that has ever happened on this block. Maybe ever. Well, as I'm puffing away... I have an ear for car engines. I know cars really well. And I can distinctly hear the V8 of a Crown Victoria approaching. So just instinctively, I tense up and I look around like, oh shit, here comes a cop. Where, where, where? I'm looking back and forth. And then I see end of the block. Sure enough, Crown Vic turns and is rolling up toward me. And so I've got maybe about a quarter left of this spliff and it's the only one I have. And it's like, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to be stuck out here for. I want to get every puff's worth, but I don't want to get a pot ticket too. So what should I do? Should I wolf it down like a boss in like three seconds? Should I eat it? Should I throw it away? This cop is going to catch me. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. What should I do? And I'm like, it's like time slows down for me. So I'm just like, like power smoking this thing as fast as I can because I'm going to ditch it with maybe about 300 feet of space between this cop and I. You know, if he rolls up and it smells like weed and, like, there's no smell, you can't do anything about it. And I'm polite enough. I'll probably be okay. But if he sees me with it in my hand, then I have a problem. So he's pro approaching. He's approaching. He's like, fuck, what do I do? What do I do? And right there was, some, there was a little bit of cloud cover. Right as I'm, like, about to just run out of options, the clouds part and the moonlight hits my tailpipe on my car, like the chrome tailpipe. And it's like a sign from the cannabis gods. I quickly put it up the tailpipe 
still burning and leaned up against my car like I was contemplating. Like I was just like, you know, like minding my own business, like thinking about something. So this cop slows to a crawl and he looks at me. It's like, you know, bald, fat, white officer, like looking me up and down. And I just, I politely smile and I wave. And then I continue like I'm still contemplating and he prowls past and then he keeps driving and he drives away. And so I quickly pulled the spliff out, killed the rest of it, ditched it, flung it and got the fuck out of there. Close call to say the least. But my closest call would be trip 6,848. It's called Canine. It was a hot day in July of 2017 and I had taken this woman from the edge of St. Paul all the way to Woodbury, which as I've said in this podcast... Going out that direction, if I took a passenger out to, like, Woodbury or, like, from St. Paul to, like, a more rural place, I would probably be stuck. Now, if you backseat drove as I'm doing this headache trip that I didn't want to do in the first place, forget it. Then by the time the ride is done, I hate your guts. So this woman was, of course, backseat driving, telling me that the way the way that Waze was taking me was inefficient, which is like, no, it's not. So she's like, you know, passive aggressively telling me, like, you know, you should probably go this way. You should probably go this way. Where, Where's this direction taking you? And I'm just like not listening to her because I'm thinking in my mind like I at this point, this is borderline philanthropy because you don't realize, lady, by doing this trip for you, I am shooting myself in the foot. So just sitting back and be quiet. Well, we finally get to her neighborhood and she realizes that Waze was right. And she was being an idiot. And if we had listened to her, we would have been in a traffic jam for probably twice as long. Well, she gets out. I don't really say anything to her. I give her three stars because... I just don't like backseat drivers. Not in my car. Once she's out of the car, though, I'm stuck. I'm in Woodbury. I ain't going anywhere. The only thing that's going to save me is destination mode. So as I mentioned, Uber and Lyft kind of toward the end of my career, they created this thing called destination mode where twice per day in Uber and six times per day on Lyft, you can pick a direction that you want to go or you can set a destination and it will only filter you rides that are going that way. Now, sometimes... What constitutes is on the way is laughable. The system got better as it went on. It's still, it's highly imperfect, and it certainly isn't the same as showing a driver where a passenger is going. You wouldn't need this crap if you just showed the driver all the details of the ride before the driver accepted it. Well, anyway, so like I said, I'm stuck, and this is my only way of getting back. But I know Woodbury to Minneapolis is a long shot, and if you're going to do a really long distance trip like that, then you're better off plotting point to point. So what I'm better off doing is instead of, I'm trying to go back to Minneapolis, but instead of what I'm going to do is I'm going to plot a destination from Woodbury to downtown St. Paul because that's only a distance of about 8 or 10 miles and the odds of somebody going to downtown St. Paul are pretty high. And then from down, once I get to downtown St. Paul, then I'll burn my other destination card and I'll set it to Minneapolis. And once I get back to Minneapolis, I'll be done for the day. I find a nice, quiet little neighborhood place to park where there's the yards are spread apart and there's like a lot of trees and stuff. So it's very inconspicuous. I set my destination and I think to myself, well, I'm going to be sitting here for a while, probably about an hour. I may as well burn one. So I light a spliff and I'm burning it down, just leaning up against my car, broad daylight in the neighborhood. And I look and I see I'm standing right beneath a neighborhood watch sign. Brought me a nice chuckle there. But I maybe get halfway through this spliff before the uber app is beeping and it's like whoa i was expecting to be here for an hour you mean to tell me after two minutes you've already found me something okay i guess my strategy of plotting one to downtown st paul and then one to minneapolis is a smart strategy so i accepted the ride i put the spliff out um i didn't throw the whole thing away because there's still about half of it left 
I put it back in its pill jar once it wasn't burning, and I put it back in my trunk. Hopped in the car, went and go picked up these people in uh, Woodbury, and I took them to downtown St. Paul for a St. Paul Saints game. St. Paul Saints are the minor league baseball team, and fun side story, Bill Murray, the actor, actually owns a small stake in them. Anyway, I arrive at this house, and it's a woman and two men. They're in, like, their 30s. They're kind of drunk, you know, because they're going to a game. A uh, woman sits in the front, two guys sit in the back, and we're driving to St. Paul, and they're, like, they're all geared out in, like, St. Paul Saints gear, and, like, they're talking about baseball stats. And I don't like sports. I never have. My sport was Taekwondo. I never did any team sports. Taekwondo wasn't affiliated with where I went to high school, so... I was the kid that just didn't do any sports, although I, I was and still am quite athletic. Just doesn't really interest me, and it never will. Like, I never caught on to it. This whole team is asking me about my thoughts on baseball, which is like, you may as well be asking me my thoughts on Chinese. I don't know. I don't care. And I also called them a team. I meant this whole car. They pick up on it pretty quick, and so they like to leave me alone. Well, as we get into downtown St. Paul, it's gridlock traffic. Like, everybody and their mom is going to this game, it seems like, so... We're moving at a crawl toward the stadium, and police presence is very heavy. I mean, there's like, it's a show of force. There's dozens of squad cars. They've all got the lights on. There's dozens of police patrolling everywhere. Well, as we're rolling toward the stadium at a snail's crawl, we roll past a SUV, like a police SUV, that's marked canine, and the windows are down. And so I pull up next to this canine car, and I see the German Shepherd in the back. It's got the windows down, like I said. And the dog looks at me. And the dog just goes fucking berserk, barking, slobbering. Like, if the dog could speak, the dog would be saying, That one! That motherfucker! Right there! That one's got drugs! Well, we're stuck in traffic. Like, we're not moving anywhere. So I'm just stuck next to this dog that's basically pointing at me. And the people in the car... My passengers, they look at the dog, like, clearly barking at us, and the one guy goes, huh. It's like that dog is, like, trying to signal this car. And the other one goes, yeah, yeah, how weird. And I, I just, like, awkwardly laugh because I'm fucking, like, beads of sweat are coming down my face now. I go, well, what can I say? It's a German shepherd, and those dogs hate Jews. And right as I crack this joke, everyone in the car just bursts out laughing, and then traffic starts to move again. And so the guy gets out of the, like, they all get out of the car. And the guy's repeating the joke to himself, laughing and thinking like, oh my God, that was such a close call. I can't believe that canine smelled that one joint in the pill jar in my trunk and had that animated of reaction. So very close call. And as soon as those guys were out, I shut the Uber app off. I activated my next destination mode. I set it to downtown Minneapolis. And like before I could even park, I found a ride to downtown Minneapolis. So smart strategy on my part. And I didn't get caught. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode, though. I'm going to remind everyone, as always, that I have three books out, Ubered, My Life as a Rideshare Driver, Ubered 2, and my novel, Wolf in the Jungle. They're all available on Amazon. And if you live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, the Hennepin County Library is now carrying all of my titles. I'm also active on social media. Follow me there, at Evan Kale. And on Twitter, I'm either at Evan Kale or at Ubered Books. And also, listeners, on my final episode, I'm going to be doing a Q&A. So send me your questions. Anything you can think of, you can tweet them at me or direct message them to me on Instagram. Use the hashtag UberedPodcast. The final episode will be airing in either March or April, maybe May. Depends how long the series goes. I've got outlines for at least another 10 episodes. And final thing, I promise, final thing. I just want to say thank you to all you guys because my podcast, I've noticed my numbers are going way up and so are my book sales. So clearly you guys are listening and enjoying. 
If you could review this podcast on whatever format you're listening to it on, I would appreciate you taking the time. So listeners, thanks again. You have been Ubered. I'm Evan Kale, signing off. Go get high!